This week on Three Questions with Corey Kareem. So I grew up with a very narcissistic stepfather who used to beat up my mom uh, physically, mentally, same with me. Um, and I always wanted to protect my mom. My mom and stepfather were arguing. My stepfather went to grab my mom by the throat and wow. he started grabbing her. And then I turned around and I looked and my stepfather said, if you look over here, you're going to get the same thing. So I came back uh, with a weapon and I put it to my stepfather's head and I was going to end my stepfather's life. Now, before we get started with this beautiful conversation, please help a brother out and click on that follow button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Three Questions with Corey Kareem, the podcast where we sit down with some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. And that's right. You guessed it. We asked them three questions, sometimes four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I know, I know, I know. But rather than talk about my guests or wins or the successes, uh, we tend to start the conversation uh, around their failures and more specifically, the lessons that they learn from those individual experiences. So with that being said, my guest today has defied all the odds and emerged as a shining star in the world of table tennis. He's a celebrity pro athlete hailing from the streets of Brooklyn, New York. Where Brooklyn at, y'all? My favorite borough of the five. Born into poverty and surrounded by violence, he faced numerous challenges that could have easily derailed his dreams, but instead he turned those obstacles into stepping stones on his path to greatness. His talent and unwavering dedication propelled him to represent the United States in international competitions. Not only did he excel on the global stage, but he also accomplished something truly extraordinary, which is an historic trip to North Korea, y'all. Gotta hear this story. It's crazy. Uh, he is also the co-founder of a premier social ping pong club in New York City, which is a unique establishment that not only brings people together through the thrill of the game, but also serves as a hub for social interaction and community building. His story, y'all, is a living testament to the fact that with hard work, dedication, and a positive attitude, anything is truly possible. Lastly, he was once quoted as saying, I may not be the best in my sport, but I'm definitely the coolest. So without further ado, Wally Green, welcome to the podcast, my brother. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. No worries. Uh, so Wally, um, anything I missed during that intro? I know you got a lot going that was on. Good. Nope. That was good. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So Wally, let's just uh let's just get straight into this. Um so as I mentioned in the intro, we like to start our conversations around, you know, difficult moments, difficult times and how you were able to overcome those periods in your life. So with that being said, tell me about the most difficult moment you've experienced or a challenging period that you had to overcome either in your professional career or in your personal life. And more specifically, what happened? How would you get through it? And what did you learn from it? <laughs> I'm coming in hard. I'm coming in hard. I just got I just got chills just now. Oh wow. 
Yeah, because uh, I, I think the most, um, there's a lot of difficult moments uh, between career and life, but I think the most difficult moment um, came, I think at the, t if I, remember, I was, at the time I was about, um, let's say, I mean, we have to give a little premise behind it. So I grew up with a very narcissistic stepfather who used to beat up my mom uh, physically, mentally, same with me. Um, and I always wanted to protect my mom. And um, because of that, I joined gangs at an early age. So by 13, I was in a gang, had guns at a young age. And I was doing a lot of crazy stuff. Um, I got caught with a weapon um, in school, a loaded weapon. And because of that, um, the judge was thinking about giving me about 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, um, somehow my mom convinced, I'm skipping a lot of the story, but somehow my mom convinced them that I should go away. I should go to Africa to boarding school um, for two years. I was going to go to boarding school um, and that would kind of like, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, train me or break me or wh whatever it was. Um, so anyway, they sent me to boarding school to Africa for two years mm -hmm. um, because I had good grades and I had good grades because sports was the other side of me. So I had the violent side and I had the sports and the sports complemented the violence, and, and that was the balance. And I needed the sports in my life. So because I needed the sports, I had good grades, right? right. And then the good grades kept you on the teams. And that's how I avoided getting 10 years in jail and getting sent to Africa. So um, when I was there, I wound up you know, fighting a lot. I was having a lot of issues over there because there, I technically wasn't the real black, right? I wasn't the real black. Uh, I see. I, they used to call me the kid who eats butter. <laughs> they, they really? tried, yeah, they all, all the time I was the kid who eats butter in their language, which meant I was soft because I wasn't, you know, African. Um, so I did a lot of fighting there. I joined this crazy thing called Man of War. Um, and, and Man of War is like, I don't know if you want to call it Boy Scouts. It's the closest thing to being in this crazy military without mm -hmm. actually being in the military. And then I started to get respect. Um, but all my life, I always wanted to protect my mom. That was the number one thing I always thought about is protect my mom, protect my mom, protect my mom, protect my mom. And now I felt I could do it. Mm. So to your question, um, I, I had, uh, came back from Africa um, and I was not the same kid that went there, right? I was a totally different kid, stronger kid, smarter kid. Everything about me was different. And I knew I could finally protect my mom and um, my Mom and stepfather were arguing. My stepfather went to grab my mom by the throat and wow. he started grabbing her. And then I turned around and I looked and my stepfather said, if you look over here, you're going to get the same thing. And immediately I just lost it. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just hard to explain. I just exploded. Um, I ran out the house. I don't even remember running out of the house, but I remember coming back and I came back with a gun that was, we kept at a friend's house, which was next door. So I came back uh, with a weapon and I put it to my stepfather's head and I was gonna end my stepfather's life. Um, and in my mind, finally, you know, I could do this because, you know, I've been waiting all my life since five years old to protect my mom. And so um, my mom picked up the phone and my mom called the police and my mom says, you guys need to hurry. My son's trying to kill my husband. Wow. Not that my son's protecting me. me. Not that my husband's beating the hell out of me. 
and my mom turned against me. And it was the most craziest feeling I ever felt. Like, I just felt like everything inside me just came out. I started crying, I was shaking, and I was gonna end my mom's life. And I put the gun to my mom and my stepfather, and I was gonna end their life. And, and, and you know, like, the more I tell the story, like, and people kind of like, um, uh, 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 join in in a way where they talk about, you know, the 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 good angel and the bad angel. That's mm. what I was going through, right? Because this side was like, do it, do it, do it. You should do it. You've been waiting to do this all your damn life. Just do it. Do it right now. You can do it right now. And the other side was like, hey, if you do this, everything your stepfather said about you is going to become true. And my stepfather always said I would be dead. I would be in jail. I would never be successful. I'm, I'm a failure. Um, everything I touched would turn to shit. Like this was constant every single day. So um, my hatred for my stepfather and what he stood for and the things that he said was more meant more to me than ending both their lives. So I had to make a conscious decision and understand that if I did what I wanted to do, then um, everything my stepfather said about me would become true, hmm. right? And like I said, I hated my stepfather more than I wanted to end both their lives. So I made that decision and I walked away. Wow. Wow. So much there, man. First of all, sorry you had to go through all that. But my my follow-up to that is, what do you think is is the the biggest lesson you you've learned maybe about yourself, maybe about people from that experience? Um, I think the biggest lesson I learned is um maybe about myself. Um because it sounds crazy, but after you know, after this incident happened, for a long time, I was kind of upset with myself for not having had done it. And, you know, I realized that, um, you know, we, as, as, we as humans, we have to make these decisions, the, like the tough decisions. And sometimes the toughest decisions are not the easiest. The easiest decision would have been to end their lives. That was easy for me. You got to remember, I'm gangbanging since 13 years old. That's easy. That's not hard at all. That's, that's the easy part. The difficult one was walking away. That was the hardest thing. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was just walk away. Because you got to remember, I built all my life to, 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 to help my mom, right? I thought about this every single day, every single day. Right. So the hardest thing was to walk away. And then, you know, I learned that, wow. You know, that's pretty powerful that I could walk away. People think it's easy to walk away, but it's not. It's the most, it's like if someone slaps you in the face, mm. can you walk away from that? That's not easy, right? And this is like 10 times as worse. And so I realized that, you know, I I do have the power um, um, to, to, to make decisions, even though they might be, you know, extremely difficult. Right. Man, you know, one of the things that come to mind, there's a few things that come to mind, and thank you for sharing that story. Um, I remember Malcolm X once said, and I'm going to be paraphrasing here, so forgive me, y'all, for, for chopping this up, but he says, in order to 
properly judge a man, you have to understand all the things he went through, where yeah. he came from. And when you're you're sharing your story, if someone just saw the end result, let's just say that you did do the former decision and you decided to end your end your stepdad's life and your mom's life, they would have been like, man, this kid's an animal, this thing's yes. dead, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And miss the entire context. Yes. From five years old all the way up yes. to that point in your life, they would have missed that entire that and they would have judged you by that single course yep. of action. Yep. You know it's crazy? That happens all the time. I mean, that's the thing that goes on all the time. I mean, when you look at when you look at a lot of these um school shootings mm. with these kids, right? At the end of the day, these are kids, right? They, they're not adults. These are kids. And then, you know, it's it's really sad and 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 it and it hurts a lot that this kid goes and shoots like other kids and teachers. But and then everyone goes, oh, you know, he's an animal. He's he's this and that. But they don't realize the kid's mom, all his life, who was a teacher, is saying that my students are better than you. My 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 youngest kids are smarter than you. You're stupid. I, you know, they don't realize that the things that's going, you know, on at home with the kid that makes the kid go go out and, and do something like that. Right? right. I, I I don't believe that a kid just decides one day out of nowhere, yeah, you know what? I'm just gonna go to school and shoot up everyone. No, it, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. This right. kid is suffering from some things that we don't know about. We can't see it because we're not in his home. So people judge him, like you said, based on that end result, right? And not say, wait a minute, you know, this is a kid. There had to have been some things going on with his life, with his families. Something had to happen for him to, to you know, do such a, 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 a horrible thing. Right. And, you know, that that brings up another memory because I used to, fun fact about me, I used to live in Brooklyn myself on, on the Flatbush side. And um, um, I remember one day I went to go visit a friend in the pink houses. So East New York. Yeah, I know. And um, I remember coming back on the three train from New Lots and it was late at night and I seen this young girl at the time, she must've been like 25 and she had two kids with her probably between the ages of five and seven. You know, she was all decked out, looking fly, Jordan's hair done, nails done, everything did all that on the phone, talking to what sounded like her boo and then her kids, Wally, man, they were scruffy, dirty clothes, runny nose. And I was just thinking I had a moment and then they looked like they had like a, a cracked out auntie that was offering the kids something in a brown paper bag. I don't know what was in that brown paper bag, but my whole thought process at that moment was like, I get it now. That's their environment. Unfortunately, that's their mom. She more invested in at that time, her boo thing or whoever she was talking to on the phone than her kids. And I was just like, I can see why by the time they get to 13, 14, 15, 16, they might not be mentally in the best position because this is what they're growing up with. Right. So again, uh, that context is, is very important. Now I read somewhere that, you know, you were shot twice. Um, and you just alluded to the fact that you had access to guns. I think you said you had access to six guns by the age of 13. So during that period of your life, right now that you've, you've, you've gone through it. If you were to talk to, a young kid, maybe 13, or maybe someone that's a teenager that's in a similar environment, similar situation, 
what advice would you give to to that to that young kid or kids? So um, the first thing I'll start with is what I won't do. Mm. I think it's really important for people to understand how young people think and, and how their minds work. What I won't do is say, hey, you know, what you're doing is horrible. You shouldn't be doing that. Don't, that's bad, that's bad, don't do that. When you do that, that makes them just cut you off. Mm. It, it, it's, it's an instant cutoff, right? What I would do is, I would explain to them how important decisions are. You have the right to make whatever decision you want to make in your life, but you have to remember what can come from that decision, right? And if the outcome of that decision you think is favorable for you, then you make that decision. Uh, if you think this, the outcome, the end result of the decision is not favorable, then you base your decision on that. That's how I will handle these that kind of thing, because it's really important to not go and say, that's bad, that's bad, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, right? Because immediately, a kid is just going to shut you out. You know, the guy who, who paid for me to go to Germany to learn ping pong, right? Right before that, a 22 fell out of my bag in front of him, right? He never once, never once, I don't know why. Wait, and not only that, right after that, talking about a day later, invites me to his house to meet his family, right? And he never once ever mentioned the 22 that fell out of my bag. It never came up ever, ever. Hmm. And I don't know if he knew what he was doing. Some people say maybe he didn't know what he was doing. He was smart. I don't know. But if he would have once said, Oh, you know, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't be doing that. I would have 100% just ghosted him and never talked to him again. And I'd probably not be here talking to you. Mm. So, so, so I, I think it's really important to not say, that's bad. That's bad. You're bad. Don't do that. And more of try to guide them on their decisions and help them to understand that your decisions have consequences, good ones and bad ones. And it's up to you to decide which of the consequences you want and which decisions you're going to make. Mm, I love that, Wally. So I think it's important to detail. How were you able to kind of get on the, the straighter path, on a good path? You just alluded to the fact that this gentleman came into your life, sponsored you to go to Germany so you can learn the sport of table tennis. How did that all come about? Oh, so that's uh, that's the crazy part of the story. Um, I actually hated ping pong. I hated this sport. Mm-hmm. They, they had it in my high school. I used to make fun of the kids playing it, and I completely hated this sport. And um, the way I, the first time I got exposed to the sport, like in terms of wanting to, well, let's say first time I just touched a racket. Yeah. Um, I was shooting pool at the time. I played, like I said. Uh, sports was my thing. I played every sport, basketball, football, volleyball, tennis, wrestling, you name it. I was on it because that's what numbed me to the craziness going on at home. So if it was a sport in my school, I'm playing it and I'm being the best at it. And um, I started to shoot pool. Like pool became my side thing, a fun thing. And um, at the time I had saved up some money and I bought this pool stick from this uh, pool store. And um, then 
I noticed that people have like really good ones that mm-hmm. kind of like yeah, yeah. twist off, twist off. Yeah. Little, I bought you know, a little can yeah, of case. case. Yeah, I was like, damn, I want one of those. So what I did was I went back to the pool store, right? Because mine came with a case and it did screw up, but it, it, it was cheap. It was cheap. Mm-hmm. I saw like real good ones, and I went back to the store and um, they 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 they, they had a box of uh um pool sticks, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you could choose from. And I told the guy, I says, hey, listen, um, this, uh, I don't like this one. I want to get another one. And he said, take anyone from the box, mm-hmm. right? But next to the box was some fancy pool sticks. Mm-hmm. Right? So what I did was, is I kind of switched it. I took the fancy pool stick and then put it in the cheap, the cheap thing. Say, yeah, I want this one. Uh-huh. And, and I got away with it. And the funny thing was, is I had this really expensive pool stick. So I thought I was a good player. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to and I went to um play shoot pool at this um pool hall and um I wound up losing some money, got upset, shattered my hit the pool stick on the table and it shattered. And um I was really angry. And as a kid, when I was angry, I would take it out on anyone who was around. It didn't right. matter. I could just walk into a wall by myself. Mm-hmm. If you were next to me, I'm taking it out on you. So I saw some kids playing ping pong. It was like it was like the perfect storm. They were like, the sport that I ate just broke my pool stick. I'm pissed off. There's two kids playing ping pong on a ping pong table in the pool hall. So I go over there and I says, hey, I want to get a hit. And the kids was like, you play this? I was like, I don't play this. Just give me the paddle. So I take the paddle from the kid. Uh, the kid hit the ball to me. My goal was to smash him in the face with the ball. Mm. Right? Because then I could say, oh, my bad. Mm. Right? And it, and it wouldn't look like anything, right? Can't get in trouble for that. It was a mistake. I would hit the ball, hit him in his face. Right. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, when he hit the ball, I had the paddle in the wrong angle, and the ball went on the table, so it was a smash instead mm-hmm. of... And they were like, oh my god, that's amazing, whoa! And immediately, they were like, there's a ping pong club you should go check out. And I was like, there's no way there's a place where people gather to play this sport. I was like, that's impossible. It doesn't exist. It was like, I'm telling you, it's good. You go check it out, go check it out. And you know, eventually the athlete in me wanted to compete. Maybe see, not compete, because I wasn't interested in the sport. But right. I wanted to see as a comedy, a joke is there's really a place where people go and play this. Mm. And so um, I went to this other pool hall. It was half pool hall and half ping pong. Right. And uh, when I walked in, I heard like noises, like people are standing from back from the table. And I was like, oh, shit, this is crazy. But the craziest thing about it all was that all the people who were there playing at the time, there was like uh, maybe there's six tables. So you figure about 12, maybe 12 to 15 people, maybe uh, 12 playing and three kind of hanging out. They were all black. Mm. It was like, what? Black people, <laughs> black people play this? I was like, yeah. there's no way that black people play this. And they were playing. And I was like, wow, you know, I want to play this. So as soon as I saw people like me doing it, and I would automatically became the coolest sport in the world for years. Listen, they had, they had this in my high school. I used to make fun of kids every day. Now, when I saw people like me doing it, I immediately want to do it. And this is why it's really important for us to have role models that we could actually look up to, right? Absolutely. Because if I walked into that pool hall and it was all Asian kids at the time, 100%, I would have still hated ping pong. Mm. And and that's and that was 
how I got started. That was the first, right. you know, you know, experience of, of ping pong. Right. And that's where you met the guy that, that sponsored you. Yes. I met him. I met him there because during that time, um, that was literally sort of right after the incident. Right. The one I had at home. And, um, so I was kind of living in the street. Mm. Right. And, and, um, the guy came up to me random, random. and was like, Hey, do you have a partner? And I was like, no. And I could play. I was good at every sport. It didn't matter. Like mm. I, I could be average from the mm. first time. I'm just good at sports. Wow. And, and, and the guy was like, you know, do you have a partner? And I was like, uh, no, I don't. Cause nobody would play with me. Cause I wasn't mm. as good as them. Right. And he was like, I'll pay you $20. Every time we play, we will play like two times a week and I'll, I'll pay for it. So he can be my partner. So I was like, whoa, 20 bucks. I was like, yeah. So I would mm -hmm. play with this guy. You know, it was like a job. This guy was giving me money. Mm -hmm. So I would play with him. And that's how we met. And we became wow. friends. And, and you know, I was always open about my life and what was going on and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. for him, it was like TV. Because for most people, it's like TV. If you, if you Like for you, it's not TV. If I tell you that, yeah, this 14-year-old kid on the block just shot someone, you'd be like, damn. But you would be like, oh my God, what? How is it possible? Right? But mm -hmm. there are so many people who think it's TV, right? Because they don't know anyone who's lived that life or been in that life. And right. for him, it was like that until he saw the 22 fall on my bag. And right. then all of a sudden, that just gave clarity to all the things that I would talk about, you know? So, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. The, it's crazy on so many different levels. But, like, for me, the thing that stands out the most is this stranger yeah. i guess he saw something in you i was like i, I want to help him out I, I i like that's just no idea i don't know if you call that divine intervention i don't know what you call that but like that right there seems to be like a watershed moment that just like changed the course of your life right there that well, that relationship. 100 100 100 let me tell you if i never met this guy right because he's responsible for getting me out of the country, like period. Like he, if, if it wasn't for him, you know, to, to say, Hey, I'm going to, I mean, think about it. It's great. I mean, the whole thing is just crazy. A random dude that you never met says, I'm going to pay you $20 to play with me at a time when you're at your lowest. Then after, after seeing a weapon fall of your bag says, Hey, I'm going to invite you to my family, to meet my family. Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Why would you invite this kid? Why would you invite this kid who just has been telling you what's going on? And then, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's proven with the gun that fall of his bag and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to bring you to meet my family. Like, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's just crazy. And then say, oh, I know you like this sport. I'm going to pay for you to go to Germany to learn ping pong. Right. Like it, it's like it, no, like no one does that. Like it's no, that's that's definitely unheard of, and it it, it it reminds me of a couple of different stories. There's a that story of that boxer from New Jersey that was in prison. Ah, uh, can't remember his name. It was in Patterson, New Jersey, and he got like a same sponsor that helped him out. Anyways, I can't remember, but it's it's reminded me of of that particular story. But speaking of stories, um, so you know, for all my listeners, for my audience. I met Wally at Podfest a couple of weeks ago in Orlando, a couple of weeks ago uh, being January. And um, 
I saw you particularly um, when you went up on stage to do your comedy stand-up bit. They did an open mic night for people that wanted to kind of try their luck. You know, I went up there. I did my little thing. Wally went up there towards the end. He was the closer. He ended up closing it out. And he shared a crazy story that resonated with me that was like, yo, I got to have this guy on the pod. Because this story was like, I've never heard anything like it before. So North Korea. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, please enlighten my guests, my audience, uh, my listeners about how you ended up in <laughs> North North Korea, not Korea, North, North Korea. Korea. Please, please share that story. Yeah, uh, that, that's pretty crazy. Um, so by this time now, you know, I discovered who I am in this ping pong world, right? And 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 um, I've been doing a lot of big things year by year. And uh, one of, so the year I went to, there was 2015. So in 2014, you know, I got interviewed on the Steve Harvey show. Oh, nice. I, I was doing, um, I was doing an event called Ping Pong for Poverty. Cause by this time now I'm doing all kinds of charities that are ping pong based, you know, saving lives, kids lives, you know, poverty, like all these kinds of things I, I was, I was into. Um, and I did this charity in Virginia Beach called Ping Pong for Poverty. And I went to these schools and talked to the schools about uh, gun violence and gangs. And um, then I was invited on their local TV show in Virginia Beach. Um, and so I was interviewed there. And then um, the producers of Steve Harvey saw this show. It was called the Hamptons Road Show. And they saw this show. And then they contacted me and said, hey, um, we want you to come to Chicago tomorrow. Oh wow. Uh Steve Steve wants to interview you. And and I was like, oh man, that's really cool, you know. Steve Harvey, all right, yeah, for sure. I want to do it. Um, so that was my big thing that year, right? And I was like, the next year came along, and I was like, all right, I need another big thing this year. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was like, what can be bigger than going on Steve Harvey's show? Right. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, what big thing can I do that's different, that's bigger than me? Something that's like huge, bigger than me. So I started looking at the tournaments I was going to play around the world because right. we can see the list of tournaments, like all the countries that we're going to play in. And so I'm looking at all the countries, Brazil, I'll do that, China, yeah, Korea, of course, Japan, yeah, Germany, of course, Croatia, yeah, I'm looking at And then I see Pyongyang. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. Pyongyang, like Pyongyang, North Korea. And I looked, it was North Korea, and I said, I'm going here, 100%. Because immediately, what triggered me immediately was that um, there's a little piece of American history that a lot of people don't know about, um, but they've somehow kind of like heard about it, but they don't realize um, what it is. So in 1971, um, America established relations with China, right? In that time, China, <clears throat> I mean, China's still communist, but in that time, China was really communist. Like, mm -hmm. don't talk to Westerners. Like, right. that kind of communist. And um, America's relations with China through ping pong. It's called the ping pong diplomacy. It's a big his historical um, time for America. And when I thought, when I saw Pyongyang, North, North Korea, remember, this was at a time where uh, it was very verbal how they felt about the Western world, especially America. And I mm -hmm. thought, oh, man, I can go there and do a diplomacy for world peace. 
through sport, just like they did in 1971 when China invited America for friendly ping pong games. So immediately just clicked into my head, like the idea just popped in. So then, um, you know, as, as I mentioned before, it's big historical moment. Yeah. And then I thought that, you know, I want to do the same thing. I, I want to create or recreate the same history that we had in 1971 by going to, uh, going to North Korea and doing a diplomacy for world peace. Right. And it sounded crazy at the time. I didn't think it was crazy because like I said, I overcame so many things. Nothing was crazy to me. I could do anything. Right. Um, so I contacted pretty much the rest of the world. Right. Um, and everyone said, no, we're not going there. You're crazy. They're going to be killed. They're not going to come back. They're going to kidnap you. And, and all this craziness. And um, you have to remember, too, Dennis Rodman had just came back around around that time. Got he, you. He had just came back. And I was like, man, if that guy can go, I can go. There's no way. I, if he can go, I can go. But it's like, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so he was a big inspiration for me to actually want to go through with it. After everyone told me no, because everyone said no, everyone, everyone, not one person. I, actually, one person did say he wanted to go, but that guy was a former Navy SEAL. And I was like, you're out of your freaking mind. You're not going to North Korea, bro. <laughs> you crazy? Like, yeah. He said, no, no, I'll go as your coach. No, 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 no. That, that's not what's going to happen. It, but so so he didn't go, but he was the only guy to go. Um, so, you know, I decided, okay, if no one wants to go, I'll just go by myself. Mm. go alone like so i called up the team the the, the u.s team and I says hey enter me please into the um pyongyang north korea open and in the beginning they were like oh we don't think that's a good idea like everyone thought it's not a good idea that probably wasn't a good idea it is north korea mm-hmm. but i was like no i want to go so i told him i said listen i want to go just enter me and i'll handle everything myself you just make because i can't enter myself into pro competitions. The right. association has to enter you. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't do it. So they entered me into the competition and then you know I kept in contact with the um uh secretary, I think it was secretary general or something like that. Uh, and that was my uh, uh liaison. So I, yeah. I would go back and forth with them, you know, and they like, you know, you have to come to North Korea, uh you have to go to Bay actually to China to get your visa, right? Mm-hmm. Because you need the visa to go to North Korea. So I already had a visa for China because I was already going back and forth to China. So I had actually just came back from China like a month before. So I had to go back to China to get the visa to go to North Korea from North Korean embassy. But the crazy thing was is, you know, I wanted to do a diplomacy for world peace, but I didn't have a plan. I had no plan. How do you do Mm -hmm. diplomacy for world peace? I don't know how you do that. No one knows. What do you do? Like, I have no idea of what to do, what I'm doing. But I did know one thing, though, that... If I took action and just get there, something would happen. Right. I can't do a diplomacy world peace sitting in my house. Right. So I need to get there first. And once I get there, I'll figure it out. And that's how confident I was. And, and that's how I went to North Korea. Wild. Wild. Now, what was that experience like while you were in? North Korea, because I, I suspect you were like the only black guy there, probably in the entire country. Like, really, Wait, the only black person? The only black guy? Forget about the only black guy. The only Westerner. So when I say Westerner, like, 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 I remember I posted a video that went viral, and people were like, "Oh, 
oh, you're not a Westerner. Oh, you, you're being indoctrinated and all this dumb shit. First yeah. of all, when you say Westerner, right? Yeah. Japan is a Western country. Mm. Korea is a Western country. When I say Western, it means along the lines of, 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 of um, they follow our values, right? right. The ideology. Ideologies is Western. Right. They're all Western. So when I say no Western countries, that means all the countries who are there at this at this competition are all countries that hate America. Mm. China, Vietnam, Syria, and you can go down the list. And those are the ones who participated and me. <laughs> and me. Um and, 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 and I mean, and it's very funny because there there was a um a very funny incident that kind of took place. Um, I was going to eat lunch in the hotel. And um, when I got to my table, there were two black dudes sitting at my table. Oh, wow. And I was like, okay, <laughs> who are these dudes? I, I, I don't know these guys, who are these guys, yeah. right? They definitely don't play on my team. I, so what yeah. are you guys playing for? Yeah. So when I get there, I say, hey, uh, where are you guys from? And they were like from Syria. So they were two guys from Syria, wow. right? And, and I was like, oh, Syria. I know Syria. I was like, oh, cool, cool. And, and then we started talking a little bit. And they were like, are you, are you the American? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I said, I go, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the American. And they said, oh, we love America. Really? Because, you know, Syrian Americans, I was like, oh, yeah. you, you love, it, it is like, yeah, yeah. They said, do you think you can help us? get into America? I was like, what? Now just, I mean, and if you think about this story, yeah. it, it's just crazy. You have an American in North Korea with two Syrians who want to go to America, telling American, you know, it's just weird. Like, yeah. everything about this trip is weird. Everything. Every mm. single thing. Every, like, there's nothing normal that went on from getting the visa to 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 playing against the North Korean. Everything about this trip was just it was crazy. And I and I think 90% of people would have probably been like, you know what? I'm not doing this. Right. right. But you know, the way we brought up things that we've been through our lives is what shapes us for future things to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people ask me, you know, would you ever go back in your life and change anything? And I say, no, right? Mm -hmm. If I went back in my life and changed not being in the gangs, not being violent, or and, we, and, I, and I'm talking about the bad stuff now because that's the things that people usually uh, are referring to. If I went back and changed all of that, I definitely wouldn't go to North Korea by myself. Mm -hmm. Like that would have never happened, you crazy? No, right. but I knew what I've been through. I knew I've been through way worse than I can never go through there. Like I'm, I'm not scared to go, and so right. so everything about that place was just yeah. strange, strange. So what you what you learn about North Koreans compared to what we see from a Western standpoint? Was there anything that was like, oh, this is not true, or or did it be like, or was it like, oh, this is very true? Like, what did you learn from that aspect? So a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stuff, uh, was very true. Um, mm -hmm. In the fact, because I did a lot of research before I went there. I researched a lot. And like I said, all the steps to getting there, like mm -hmm. 
you know, getting the visa, that was crazy. That was just like crazy. Buying the ticket, crazy. Getting on the flight, crazy. So, so all that stuff that we saw in the media, is, it was a lot all true. I, I, I think most of it is, is all true. Um, you won't meet a normal North, North Korean. So you're not going to ever meet someone who's just walking in the street. It's not going to happen. First of all, you're not allowed to leave your hotel. You cannot walk out of that place alone. You're not going to be in the area where there are normal people, normal citizens. And what do you mean by normal? Meaning like anyone who's around you <clears throat> works for the government. Got you. They're the elite, right? So my guide speaks English, right? Speaks English, perfect, no problem. So anyone who's around you, they are trained on how to handle you. They are trained on what questions to ask you. They're, they're trained on uh, 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 how to find things out from you, things that you may know or may not know, mm. right? So you're not going to meet like the citizen of North Korea who's like a farmer, right. you know, it, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. I mean, the closest time I think you may meet someone like that is if you take a tour Right. And then the tour, I think they bring you to their famous train station. But I still think all those people who you see mm-hmm. are planned to be there. Right. Right. I, I, everything that happens there happens, it doesn't happen by chance. Mm. Everything, like when I played the North Korean, that wasn't luck of the draw. It should be luck of the draw, but it's right. not. They right. wanted the North Korean to play an American. American. It, for it, sure. it was made like that way. So um, it's it's uh it's, it's it's definitely a lot of what we see, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll I'll give an example. Um, I want to have a so like like you said, you know, the media always says, you know, this brainwashed, this this, and I never met a brainwashed person, a fully brain. I've met ignorant people, but I've never met someone who's brainwashed. I never met anyone. So I wanted to see the extent of the brainwashing in North Korea. Now this was very, very, very dangerous what I was doing, but I've done a lot more dangerous things than this. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't worried yet, <laughs> but um, I started a conversation with my guide. So the guide is like your babysitter. That person is the one that's gonna take you everywhere. You're not gonna leave, you're not gonna do anything. Then you're gonna eat without her coming to get you or him, if you have mm-hmm. him. Um, so I tell her, I says, hey, listen, um, I know you guys like me. Now, I don't even know that they like me, but I'm using this just to diffuse any kind of idea and I'm trying to start trouble. So I know you guys like me, but why do you hate Westerners so much, right? And she goes, well, we don't hate Westerners. We just want the pure Korean culture in our country. We don't want any other influence from anyone else. And I said, okay, I understand that. But do you know that in order for any country to, to get to its highest potential, you need influence from other countries. And she says, that's not true. Everything done by the great leader, great country. For them, everything's great. Great leader, great country, great this, great that. And I say, yeah, but you know, your great leader has Western influence, right? Now, <clears throat> just saying that is putting me in the yellow. That's mm-hmm. a yellow. Just even saying that, right? You're not supposed to say that. So I'm like, yeah, your great leader has Western influence. And she goes, that's not true. I said, it's true. She goes, it's not true. I said, 
Your great leader loves basketball. And she says, basketball created by our great leader. <laughs> now, in my mind, I want to laugh, right? But, you know, you can't laugh because then right. you'll be in big trouble. Um, but when someone is brainwashed, they mm. lack common sense. Right. Right. If you're ignorant, you can still kind of pick mm-hmm. up common sense, but if you're brainwashed, you lack common sense. Like right. if someone's told you all your life the sky is red and you see it's blue, mm-hmm. you still tell me it's red. And 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 so I mean, the great leader was 28 years old. When did he create basketball? Like it just doesn't make sense. Right. So I was like, so I was like, all right. So I wanted to move on. And I says, okay. Do you know your great leader studied outside of North Korea? Now, this is a bright red. This is a bright red because now I'm giving information uh, to citizens while corrupting the minds of citizens is punishable by 20 years hard labor. Wow. And the only way you're getting out is it a president or someone who is high up come to get you? And so I told, I said, do you know your great leaders? Your great leader studied outside of North Korea. Because everyone knows that he studied in Switzerland. And she goes, mm-hmm. that is not true. That everything he's done for our great country, to our great country, blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, it's true. Everyone knows this. He studied in Switzerland. And when I said that, she goes, that is not true. And I said, oh, my God. You're so right. It's like, oh, man. I was thinking about the Cuban president. <laughs> I didn't know who the Cuban president is. Yeah. But even when you grow up in the hood, you're very crafty and getting out of things really quickly. Like mm-hmm. you know, you, you have smarts, and you and you can make yourself really believable right. in times of dire situations. Like that was, I was scared for my life. Like literally, like at that point, and after that conversation, mm-hmm. uh, that night I had a hard time. I couldn't sleep because I just kept thinking like someone's gonna bust into my room. And, and because we don't know what she told them because right. whatever we talk about, they go back and report. So yeah. if she says, yeah, you know, he was saying this and that, I would be arrested. Like, it's not a joke. Like, see what happened to the kid, the American kid that mm-hmm. went there and took a poster, right? I mean, if you take a poster in America, no one cares. Who cares? But yeah. the kid came back and died. So it, it's it's very, very, very serious. And um, I was really worried um, that night, but no one came to get me. And uh, it, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just close. It was close. It was close. But that's you know, yeah, that's definitely one for the books. And I, I, I think you said people have asked you if you would go back, and I, I don't know if I caught your answer. Would you, would you ever go back? Um, it depends on who's the president. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I got yeah. asked. I got a formal letter yeah. from the country. Inviting me back to North Korea the next year. Well, that was 2000. I think when did Trump become president? 2016. Yeah, so it was. It was the next year. So mm. 2016, I got a, letter, a, a formal letter from the country saying, We would love you to come back to North Korea, right? Because of what happened at the end, you know, the big hug and everything. And um, that was the year that Trump was talking about hell, fire, and fury. Mm. right and um yeah i was thinking if anything jumped off with trump 
and North Korea, if I'm in North Korea, oh, so one thing I didn't tell you, when you're in North Korea, you have no cell phone service, you have no Wi-Fi, and they take your passport. So, so if something jumped off between America and North Korea, I would be stuck in North Korea. Yeah. Oh, so I just politely said, um, I have a lot of engagements uh, this year. I won't be able to. Um, maybe next time we, we can try again. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Fair enough, man. Oh, such a such a wild story. One for the books. And, and Wally, what would you say ultimately you learned from that experience in North Korea? If you had like one takeaway from that experience, what would you say you learned from that? That humans are humans. And mm-hmm. sometimes the most simplest thing can 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 uh light someone up. Sometimes the most simplest thing can Maybe not change the mind of someone. Yeah. Put something there to make them think. Yeah. You know, um, like I mentioned before, you know, I got to play a North Korean and I didn't know what my diplomacy for world peace was gonna be. Right. Right. And um the audience, actually when I was coming out to play the North Korean, the audience, um, you could feel, you could feel the hatred. You could feel it. Yeah, remember, there's 5,000 people there who are all North Korean. There's no one else there that's not North, North Korean, 5,000 people. And, you know, as I'm coming out, you know, black dude with yellow hair, I'm like some kind of like, I don't know what. <laughs> like, they're like, you know. spectacle, I don't know. And you can feel everyone, yeah. everyone looking at you, that's right? Good. Everyone looking at you. And and you and you can hear like these mm, like these sounds right. of hatred, right? You can hear this. It was pretty crazy. I got to play this North Korean, and um, when the match starts, you know, I'm trying to win this match, right? I'm, I'm trying to win. Uh, I go up five zero, and I'm like ah. And um, every time I make a point, there's not one clap for me. Mm. It's silence. Yeah, that's awkward. And, and you heard that sound you made too just now. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's the sound that I heard a lot of. <laughs> like that, exactly that. Now picture five thousand people doing that really low. Wow. It's crazy. Silence and that. And every time my opponent made a point, it was like the world championship. It was like the finals of the Olympics. Loud, and then to the point where it was, where they weren't clapping for him. They were clapping against me, which is different, like blatantly against me. And I, I got really, at one point I got really pissed off because I couldn't concentrate. It was just so loud. I could not, I never been in a predicament where, you know, I'm always the underdog. So I never been in a predicament where I was being treated like, you know, like that, was, you know, always people clap for me. And um, I started to get upset and, and I took a pause. And I looked up and I really wanted to just like say, fuck me out, just curse everybody out. Um, but of course I didn't do that because you know what would happen. Yeah. Um, I looked up and I just smiled. I smiled. And when I smiled, I noticed that I heard a different sound. Like kind of like a chuckle, something like a little bit loud. Like I was like, oh, that's weird. So I go back again, I play. And then I look up and I smile again. And then I noticed people started smiling. Mm. Like, oh, this is crazy. And then I thought, this is where the diplomacy for all peace is going to happen. It's going to happen right here because now I've connected 
with 5,000 people who hate me. And now I got them smiling, right? So every time I play, I would engage with the crowd. And then eventually, um, I wind up losing the match, of course, uh, to the North Korean guy. He's really good. Um, and um, we go to shake hands. And when we go to shake hands, he doesn't want to shake my hand. You can tell, but you have to shake hands because it's for etiquette and you just look like an ass. And so uh, he comes to shake my hand. He puts his hand out first and his body stays back. So when people really don't want to shake your hands, what they do, right? They put the hand out first and the body kind of stays back. It's like, yeah, I want, I'm shaking his hand, but I'm not a part of this handshake. Right. And so when he did that, um, I grabbed him by the hand. I grabbed, yeah, I remember as a black dude, blonde hair, police chair in North Korea, grabbing a North Korean dude. I grabbed him by the hand, pulled him in, and gave him a bear hug. And the crowd went crazy, man. And the crazy, way? huh? In a good way, the crowd went crazy. In a good way, they were cheering, they were clapping, and 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 uh, he, which I found out later because I have my video recording everything. Um, he smiled, right, and that brings me to your answer, um, to, to to your question. Back to your question, what did I learn? So what I learned was is that no matter, no matter what, how brainwashed you are, no matter um. How 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 bad or, 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 or how much things people have put into your mind? Humans are always going to be humans. Emotions is something that you can't fake. You can't fake an emotion, wow. right? It, it's impossible. Humans are always going to be humans. You just have to find the right way to connect. And right. when I hugged this guy, and he smiled, right? That's not fake. That's real because smiling can get him in a lot of trouble. You right. smile, an American hug you, you smiled about that? Mm. One of, <laughs> I have multiple viral videos about this in different forms. And the number one comment that is thousands and tens of thousands of times is, oh, either you just ended that guy's life or that guy's gonna be killed tomorrow. Because everyone knows, like you smile, an American hug you, that's trouble. Right. But and emotion is emotion. You can't control that, mm -hmm. right? So we're all, we're all, at the end of the day, we're all human. We all have emotions. We all have the same emotions. It's just that we need to learn how to connect in the right way with each other. Right. Wow, man, I love that. Uh, question for you is, when's the book? When's the movie? When's the Netflix series, man? Like, because this, as you're detailing that, I'm actually visualizing that scene where it's awkward silence and you're playing and that to me that's that's a movie bro so when, yeah. when is the tell me you're working on this tell me it's in the work yeah yeah so so um after my new york times article came out, i had a big new york times article come out yeah. um i had a lot of movie companies approach me with this mm -hmm. um the problem with the movie companies is that a lot of them want to buy the rights to my life story but I don't want to do that because I, I, I did my research and I know how that works. If movie company buys the rights, they have the right to depict you in any way you want, any way they want. So there are certain things that they can change, which I don't want. I want the story to be told exactly what it is. Um, so, you know, I have, I have a documentary that I have some documentaries that are out. Um, there are things that I'm working on. Like I have my own documentary that I'm working on. I do it little by little every day. And it's really the story of North Korea, right? Um, so I'm working on that. Um, 
Yeah, man. I have a lot of stuff work. I have a TV show that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, man, the, the movie thing, the movie thing will come. It definitely will come, but it has to be, has to be the right, the right people and, and, right partner for and sure. want to tell it the right way. Absolutely. I respect that, man. Yeah. Hollywood and all, but I'm still alive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. I I know that's going to be a great one. Whenever, whoever the partner is, when it's the right partner, that will be a phenomenal story to be seen on the big screen or the TV screen, whatever it happens uh, to be. Uh, So Wally, as, as my last question, as we wrap up here, um, my question is for you, when you are no longer here on this planet, on this earth anymore, how do you want people to remember you? Uh, um, yeah, I guess I just want people to remember me as just, you know, this kid from the hood who was able to, you know, change his life and, and, and make things happen and make dreams come true and inspire and motivate people. You know, that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I'm here for now. It's just to inspire and, and, and motivate others and, and transform, you know, people's minds to think that there's always another way, you know, that's pretty much it. You know, there's nothing too big, you know, just that that's it. Just a real dude who did real stuff. I love it. And as a quick follow-up to that, what is a quote? or a mantra that you currently live by? Aha! That's a good one. So I have my own, my own quote. I love it. That I love. Anyone can generate wealth, but what will you do to create history? Mm, I love that. Ah. There we go. Anyone can generate wealth, but what will you do Mm, create history? Wally Green, no one else. I love that. Love that. All right, Wally. So uh, for my listeners, for my audience, if they want to uh, connect with you, if they want to follow you, or if people listening want to maybe hire you to speak in an engagement, what is the best way for those people to reach out to you? Um, usually Instagram. Mm. If Instagram is, 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 is a great place. I'm actually very active on there. And it's a Wally Green NYC. Awesome. Instagram it is. Well, folks, uh, that concludes this episode of Three Questions with Corey Kareem. And as for many of my listeners, you know, I, I typically like to end each episode with saying this. Sometimes you don't need to see something new or uh, listen to something new. Sometimes you just need to hear or see that somebody else has gone through it. And today you heard a phenomenal story with Wally Green from going from very hard not life to reaching the big stages of the world, becoming a professional athlete and going through a tremendous amount of experiences, so many experiences, especially that North Korean one. That is just wild. Um, so with that being said, go ahead. We'll part two next time. And then we'll get really deep into the crazy parts of it. <laughs> yes. Part two coming up. Part two. You heard it from the man himself. Well, that being said, guys, Wally and myself are out. Peace and love. Until the next time. Clockwise, 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 clockwise